Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? So we were supposed to be in our new building this Sunday, so I was going to kick off a book. We're going to go back to line by line, verse by verse. Uh, I I am not a topical preacher. I, I love to just dig into the Word of God and go deep. However, there are always themes that God brings out even as we do that. Amen? So we're going to dive into the book of Jude, and everyone knows it's about contending for the faith, but that's only one verse in the whole book. The real theme of the book is unmasking apostate Christianity, unmasking the apostate church. So we're going to get a glimpse of that. Jude has only 25 verses. Uh, Jude really wanted to write it to encourage the church. He wanted to write a letter of encouragement about their common salvation, but the Holy Spirit stopped him as he was just starting the book and said, no, I was compelled to write to you about this. We know that in the last days there's going to be a great apostasy from truth. We already see it. Uh, We see whole denominations abandoning Judeo-Christian ethics abandoning the Word of God and rewriting the Bible, essentially, to fit what they want to teach, contending for the faith against apostate Christians in the last days or end times. But who was Jude? You know, there are six Judases in the Bible. And by the way, the the title of this book is not Jude. In the Greek, it's Judas. But the English translators changed it because they didn't want you to confuse him with the five other Judases that are in the Bible. There is a lot of Judases in there. Can you think of any? Yeah, Judas is scary, right? He's scary, man. (laughs) He he literally betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, How about Judas the Apostle? Okay, Uh, there are a lot of Judases in Bible, so we need to figure out who this is. The author never claims, well, by the way, most Bible teachers say that this is Judas the Apostle. Okay, Uh, he never claims to be an apostle in the book. In fact, Jude chapter 1 verse 17, he says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand, by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say by us. He never said he was an apostle. In fact, we have a real good clue about who, which Judas this is. In Jude chapter 1, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jude. We're just going to do an introduction today, but we might tackle a little bit of verse 1 and 2. Jude actually properly Judas chapter 1 verse 1 a bond servant of Jesus Christ the brother of James now that is a big clue as to who wrote this book 
because the apostle was called the son of James, and that's in Luke chapter 6, verse 16. But this Judas is the brother of James. This isn't the apostle. Also in Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 55, it records all the names of the brothers of Jesus. And their names are Simon, Joseph, that would be Joseph Jr. <laughs> These are really half-brothers of Jesus, right? They shared the same mother, but they had different fathers. Simon, Joseph, James, and guess who? Judas. James and Judas, or Jude, were the only ones who wrote books of the Bible. Can you imagine being the brother of Yeshua HaMashiach? So he had three brothers. He had multiple sisters. And can you imagine being raised with the creator of the universe, God incarnate? He was perfect in everything he did, though tempted as we are, we're told in Hebrews, yet without sin. I can't imagine having Jesus as a brother. You know, Mary probably said, why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> you know, he was perfect. He was perfect in every way. In fact, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 40, speaking of Christ, it says, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of the Lord, a grace of God, was upon him. Jesus' intellect was greater than any human that ever walked this planet. In Luke chapter 2, verse 46, by the age of 12, it says this, Then after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his, get this, answers. They were asking him questions. Already by age 12, Jesus was smart, intelligent, strong, and the grace of God was upon him. Oh, Judas and James, your brother was Jesus, perfect in every way. Talk about sibling rivalry, right? You know, they probably did all they could. They lived with him. They grew up with him. They played with him. You know, God plays, right? I'm sure Jesus did. And they probably worked with him as carpenters. But the one thing they didn't do throughout Christ's life is ever believe in him as Messiah. The whole life of Jesus, all the way up to the crucifixion, they would not believe. His brothers, his sisters, the people of his hometown, and I'm going to read the verses here in a minute. But after the resurrection, guess what? Oh, they believed. They finally believed, and they called him more than just a brother. They called him Lord. In John chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing 
in him. For them to say, oh, wow, you want to be popular? You want to be great? Well, hey, go to Judea and show your disciples. Go show them the things that you're doing. And Jesus later said, what? My time has not yet come. His first miracle wouldn't be till what? At a wedding when he turned water into wine. Okay, Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, I, 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 I love this picture we get. You know, Jesus was out making disciples and proclaiming the word of God and uh, getting baptized, and he comes back to his hometown in Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. And he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they established two things. They still didn't believe in him. But they established he was wise and taught biblical sound truth, and he did miracles, these miraculous powers. Verse 57, and they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own household. They did not honor him. They didn't believe in him. The fact is they thought he was crazy. Did you know that? Maybe. Okay, it's in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And he, Jesus, came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people, his family, heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. This is what you, the first 5150 recorded. <laughs> they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his mind. Some versions say he's beside himself. He's gone crazy. This is his brothers. That after the resurrection, they believed, and they all gathered at the upper room at the birth of the church. So we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they believed. In fact, more than that, they began to call Jesus not brother but Lord. So James starts his book, James, a bondservant, literally a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, his half-brother. But he didn't even want to claim that in his book. To the 12 tribes who were dispersed, Jude in the book of Judas wrote Jude, a bondservant, a slave of my brother, Jesus Christ. No, he didn't say that. Of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved of God, uh, the Father, and kept in Christ Jesus. James and Jude then became missionaries. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 5, said, Do we not have a right to take along on mission trips a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Most scholars think Jude was written about 67 A.D. It's interesting, that's the exact date 
when both Paul and Peter were martyred. They were considered leaders in the early church, and they were killed, and probably Jude thought, it's time for me to write a letter of encouragement to the church, because Paul and Peter have been martyred by Rome. Also in 67 AD, the church was being persecuted under Nero. Rome was putting down a revolt by the Jews. They killed 40,000-plus Jews in 67 AD as they eventually destroyed the temple in 70 AD, three years after Jude wrote this letter. There was civil unrest. There were wars and rumors of wars. There were false teachers and false prophets infiltrating the church, a shadow of the apostasy that will come in the last days. And it totally applies to us in these uncertain times. In fact, Jude is written to the church that would be here in the end times to recognize the apostasy, to recognize false doctrine, and to recognize false Christians. In fact, Jude chapter 1 verse 18, it says, in the last days there will be mockers following their own lusts. The whole letter is how to recognize apostate Christians, mockers, that will fill the church in the end times and how to contend for the faith. Even though he only spends two verses on how to contend, what to do with these false Christians. Speaking of the last days, over and over, one of the prophetic markers is the great apostasy, the great falling away from truth. In fact, Matthew 24.10 said, at that time, in the last days, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And Jude is going to describe how to recognize these false Christians as we dig into this book. When do they fall away? Well, we know it's in the last days because Matthew 24.9 says, Then they will deliver you, the church, to tribulation and will kill you and you'll be hated by all nations on account of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Folks, in the last days, there are going to be people that claim to be Christians, claim to be prophets, claim to be pastors, and they will teach false doctrine and mislead many. The world's going to love them because they're going to make sure the world, that, that what they teach is just easy believism and false love. It tickles their ears, exactly. So when does that apostasy happen? When Christians are hated by all nations. In fact, concerning the rapture, Paul talks about the apostasy as well, and he says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the rapture, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord or the rapture has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. 
That's what we just read about in Matthew 24. When Christians are hated by all nations, at that time, many will fall away. That is the apostasy. And Paul says that has to happen prior to the rapture, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Their deception will be strong. Later in Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise, and they will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. I really believe that there are several denominations that have abandoned biblical truth. You see, either the whole Bible is the standard upon which we live, or it's not the Word of God, yet they rip out passages. They rewrite and decompress. Scott, what's it called, the, the, the movement? <laughs> yeah, progressives, what do they do? Yeah. What do they do with Scripture? They... All right, you failed that test, but I can't remember anyway. So, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. These false prophets claim to be Christians. They claim to prophesy. In fact, 1 Timothy 4.1 says, but the Spirit explicitly says, in the last days some will fall away from the faith. That is the apostasy. Paying attention, get this, to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I don't doubt that these false prophets hear words, get visions, but they're not from God. They're from the enemy, and they twist the Word of God. They twist it so much. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 says, As also in all his letters, speaking of Paul, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Oh, they will pick scriptures out of the Bible. Oh, let's take that verse and this verse, and now we can create our own doctrine. They're going to show us. You have to go line by line, verse by verse through Scripture. One of the rules of hermeneutics is context. That means you have to understand where that verse fits and why it's there in the context of the total book. They will make the Bible say what they want it to say. The apostate church will not hold to biblical truth, morals, or ethics. In fact, 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. This is the church, the apostate church. Oh, they won't endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate themselves for themselves teachers, note this, in accordance with their own desires. Well, I think this lifestyle should be good. So I'm going to find teachers and prophets that, that agree with me when it contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture. 
their God literally will become their desires. They will be charismatic, these apostate leaders. Oh, they'll be articulate from the pulpit. They'll be able to tickle your ears and pull you in and just teach a lot of good things. Oh, God's love. We need to love. And, and then they'll just sneak in some false doctrine. Their God literally becomes their desire or their lust, not the God of the universe. Philippians 3, 18 and 19 says, For many walk, of whom I'm often told you, and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's talking about within the church, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. And they will contradict Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master. Literally, the word denying, they're contradicting the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. You know, there's a, a new movement in the church that says Christ did not have to die on the cross for our sins, and God never demanded uh, to kill uh, sacrificially lambs or cows or anything. Blood did not need to be shed for sin. This is in the church. They claim to be Christians. This is infiltrating a church not too far from here. Folks, they go out and teach this. Jude is going to agree with that in Jude chapter 1, verse 4. He said, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed into the church. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons, note this, who turn the grace of our God into a license to sin and deny, literally contradict, our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They look like Christians, but folks, I can assure you, they aren't. Oh, they will talk like Christians as well, and they'll go to church on Sundays. They probably even pay their tithes and do good works, but they're far from the Lord. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They don't teach the word of God. Amos chapter 8, verse 11, prophesying about these end times, says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. They love the world, and they want the world to love them. In fact, James chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of that, the world hates you. The end times apostate church will grow. In Matthew 7, starting at verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. 
and there are many that enter through it. But the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are that find it. But beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inner we are ravenous wolves. That's the context. He's talking about the church. You know the parable of the mustard seed? Smallest seed, but it grows unnaturally into this huge tree. Mustard trees don't get big. And the birds of the air flock to it. In every parable, and this is another hermeneutical uh, rule, expositional consistency. Meaning if something is defined in a parable or several parables, that definition will probably stick with all the parables told. Birds most often in the parables, in fact always, represent what? Evil. Satan, remember the parable of the sower? They sow the word of God and the birds snatch it up. And they said, what does this mean? And Jesus says, oh, they receive the word, but then the enemy comes and takes that from them. So the tree the, uh, of, of the mustard seed, it grows into this unnaturally huge tree, and the birds make their nest in it, is talking about the church's unnatural growth in the last days where demons will come and actually nest there. In fact, Jesus said this about the time of the rapture, Luke 18, verse 8. I tell, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? A false prophet will say, in the last days there's going to be a great revival Oh, God's going to pour out His Spirit on all mankind. It's going to be a huge revival, yet over and over in Scripture, just prior to the rapture, the exact opposite is taught. There will be a great falling away from the faith and great revival in the true church. Are you with me? Yeah, I look forward to that. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul wrote, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Note this, the pillar and support of the truth. It is time that we as a church declare the truth. Amen? The apostate church and the world will intimidate you. Do you ever stand for truth in blogs or any of that, and they attack you? I mean, I get cussed out. I get fully attacked by Christians, part of the apostate, or the first wave of the apostate, and the world. First Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 12, says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? And even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready, note this, to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's contending for the faith. 
And Jude is going to challenge us to do that in verse 3 of the book of Jude, where he writes, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. So that brings us to the book of Jude. Let's go to Jude chapter 1. What's really the title of this book? Judas. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate when people change the Bible. Does it bother you? It literally bothers me. That is not the, that, it's not Jude. It's Judas. Why do you change it? Judas chapter 1 verse 1. Judas, a bondservant of, of Christ Jesus, the brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God, the Father kept for Jesus Christ. Who has King James Version here? Okay, uh, now it's interesting. King James borrowed from the Latin Vulgate. So most of the original manuscripts, and we have, you know, thousands now, when King James was translated, they only had eight in the Latin Vulgate. And a lot of those were missing things. King James radically says this differently. It says, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Uh, the most reliable manuscript says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept or preserved for Jesus Christ. Folks, I, James starts out the book saying, you are beloved. Oh, you're called. You're special. God loves you. All true Christians are called. We know that, right? In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his perspective purpose. Jude's greeting is interesting in verse 2. It says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. What was Paul's typical greeting? Grace and peace. Yeah, he would do grace, the, the Greek or Roman greeting, which means, oh, unmerited favor, pleasure and joy and gratification. That's all this word means. It's all of that. And peace, shalom, which was the Hebrew greeting. Here, you know, Paul changed his greeting in the letter in 2 Timothy. He added mercy there because 2 Timothy was written during Nero's persecutions of the Christians, and he no longer used the uh, 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 grace to you and peace from God the Father. Oh, no. Now he said mercy because you're not going to have this unmerited favor that causes joy and pleasure and gratification and favor and acceptance. That's what grace means. Man, you're going to be persecuted. So may God have mercy on you. May you find mercy and love and peace. And Jude wrote this in the midst of that persecution. Paul and Peter were just martyred, and he says, man, Lord, just have mercy on us.
And mercy is compassion, unmerited forgiveness, peace, and love. In verse 3, here's where God changed uh, Judas's mind as he was writing the letter. He wrote, Beloved, while I was making every effort, striving with all diligence to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it the necessity, literally in the Greek, compelled or pushed to, even against your will, to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. Judas wanted to write a letter of encouragement about their common salvation, but he was compelled or inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter about the apostasy that would happen in the last days. Jude was inspired to write the book. It's part of God's will. And remember one of our theme verses for this year is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. It says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Folks, Next week, we're going to get into the book and really unmask what the apostate church and false prophets and false pastors and false Christians look like. It will be imperative that we know how to recognize this in the last days because we already read they will show signs and wonders. They'll be charismatic and articulate. They'll do a lot of things, and many will be misled. And many will fall away from the truth. And they'll do great signs and wonders. They might even do miracles and healings to mislead, if possible, even the elect, even the church. In Jude chapter 1, verse 4, he kind of describes them a little bit. It says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness or a license to sin and deny our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 12 and 13, these are men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. They're in your church. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, Clouds without water carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Worship team, come on up. So next week we're going to get a peek at uh, what the apostate church is going to look like in these last days. So in the midst of that, we need to shine bright the love and light of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. Amen? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it says, So then, my beloved, just as you as always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked 
and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights to the world. Father God, I pray that you would shine bright in us and through us to a lost world. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment. And Lord, as we go through this divinely inspired letter to recognize false prophets and false teachers and false believers, Lord, I pray that you would just work in all of us to will and to do for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.